0: Hi, everyone. John Zacharias joins us today to talk about senior citizens and mental health. This is a topic that's near and dear to me. He graduated as a sociology major with a focus on gerontology. He speaks with us today about why this is his favorite population to work with. Thanks for joining us.
1: I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. Oh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air
0: for several years, and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching sometimes uncomfortable but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people the goal is to have you our listening family many of you who have become
1: my good friends feel as though you are listening in on private conversations thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me
0: and now with our network of podcasters Just knowing this podcast might be
1: helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second.
0: Hey everyone, I want to welcome John, who is my former neighbor, and he also works with mental health patients who are in the, you don't want to say geriatric, but of the aging population.
2: I use just older,
0: <laughs> older adults. <laughs> there you go, John. Thanks I'm, for coming on the I'm show. I'm
2: not doing it now.
0: But. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, you're not doing that work now. But why was that work important to you?
2: When when I was a kid, um, I had both of my grandmothers died in nursing homes in the Richmond area, um, and. My memory of that is both died under pretty horrific conditions Um, and at the ripe age of 15 or 16, um, I decided that working with older folks and um, later working with people with dementia was something that I really enjoy.
0: When you were a kid, did you hang out with older folks more than you did kids your own age?
2: Actually, I did. I did, too. Um, <laughs> I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Uh, the guy up the street um, lived in a old shack, actually, and everybody else in the neighborhood kind of uh, stayed away. They were afraid of Mr. Lucas.
0: They're afraid they're going to catch old. Or something.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I... I enjoyed being with him. One of my fondest memories when I was a kid was sitting on his front porch, listening to the ball game, the baseball game on on his radio. And he smoking his pipe and a warm summer evening. Um, Those are very fond memories for me.
0: Yeah, I always was hanging out with the neighbors that were older grandparent age at the time that I was I loved hearing their stories I loved hanging out with my grandma I always resonated to or the bus driver that was the you know he was technically retired but he was driving the bus part time Mm -hmm. sit right up front in the front of the bus so I could hear his life and stories and I loved that I've just resonated with someone who's experienced a lot of life and has all this wisdom you know? I
2: I use the word wisdom a lot when I talk about the value of older folks um, and how they contribute every day, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, to society and the people around them.
0: In doing that work with them, and you're dealing a lot, I would assume, with dementia.
2: Dementia, in my last position, is the main piece of my work. It's um, turned out, dementia really became sort of my first love. Um, taking care of someone um, who has so much confusion—we're talking about more advanced dementia. Um, people would ask me, "Isn't that depressing? <laughs> um, how can you do this?" And my response usually is, "Has been." There's something about helping an individual. Who, who is totally lost in their present state uh, they don't have a clue what's going on where they are why they're there um, to be able to help that individual feel safe to feel okay and even to feel good um, I I love to do that more than anything
0: mm. It takes a lot of patience, I would imagine.
2: <laughs> Extraordinarily. Um, but, you know, once, once you get used to it, um, it, it's not something that you think about. Um, the questions come frequently and often and mostly the same questions uh, or question. Um, learning to be able to sit with that and to respond to that each time um, that, that can be very hard for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, it definitely can be, especially family members. They're having their own issues with maybe wrestling with their own, you know, fear of, of getting older, whatever it is and getting so impatient.
2: Um, my work with families has been interesting to say the least um, That's
0: probably your not-as-favorite part of
2: it, so. um, Actually, you're right. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but um, families tend to... Of course, they tend to be very uh, protective of their loved one. Most of them do. Um, families tend to not be able to accept the fact that mom or dad... Is truly losing it. Um, they don't have the memories of um, them growing up, like they used to talk about stories when the kids were were small. Families have a difficult time accepting that. Um, families also, um, in some cases they they expect the expectation is that mom or dad or whoever the loved one is, um, the care will be absolutely perfect, just right as they would uh, if they were taking care of their their loved one. Um, and the simple reality is that sort of care. It's not going to be able to be repeated in my opinion. Uh, we come we come damn close, I think, but um, families, which leads me to another topic, um, i I have a lot of I have strong beliefs about how folks in Eastern cultures uh, treat the elderly. Uh, folks who are older are revered, Mm -hmm. um, for their wisdom, for their, um, for their age, just their experiences. Um, I think the Western cultures need to take more of that into consideration, um, and value older folks in general with, with or without dementia. Um, much more than we tend to do today.
0: Yeah, I have done many shows on how narcissistic western culture is. <laughs> I think about it in terms of uh, in a, the scheme of things. America's about 5 years old. And those are pretty narcissistic years. <laughs>
2: Amen. Amen. But
0: yeah, it's um it can be daunting to think about your own age. I think about that too. I'm, I'm going to be 50 in January. So in 15 years, I would be considered retirement age, which they'll, they will wheel me out. Retirement retirement means different things now than it did um, a while ago anyway. But um, I think, you know, what, what's our society that's so awful about elderly people now, what it's, is it going to be worse then? And how am I going to, you know, handle that. Do you think about things like that too?
2: The, the first part of the, the answer to the first part of your question uh, frightens me all the time. Mm. Um, I mean, I certainly hope and pray that things are changed as far as caring, physically caring for these folks, if indeed families cannot. And and by the way, folks who have advanced dementia, most of the time, cannot stay at home. Um, some caregivers can do it for longer periods than others. Um, I've never seen it done successfully um, in my work. Um, usually what ends up happening as the dementia progresses, so do certain behaviors. Right. Um, and at some point, that those behaviors may include... Uh, combatedness, um, anger, um, a lot of issues that caregivers um, sometimes are even shocked by initially. Um, So the majority of folks end up in um, some sort of uh, assisted living or um, a nursing home, something like that.
0: In your work, what do you see as a reason why someone who, let's say, has been the most mild-mannered person ever, and then they get dementia, and all of a sudden they start hitting, they start screaming at people, cursing being, you know, behaviors that they never have have explained before? I have my own theories around this, but they're just theories. I wanted to hear what you have to say about that.
2: Um, you know, I have no idea <laughs> why that is. In, in my experience... Folks who at one time were, you know, say the laid back folks um, didn't utter any uh, foul language their whole life. It can be the exact opposite of that or it is simply what was is accented even more. Mm. That's what I see.
0: Okay, so if someone was a very angry, combative person, they're even more so.
2: Um that's probably more the usual than the other.
0: I've just witnessed twice where it was someone who, um, they were very oppressed, but both people were very oppressed. They were very much uh, put a face on out in society, uh, did not express how they really feel about anything. And it seemed like the minute that the the, the chains of be polite in society were lifted because of the dementia or the traumatic brain injury that it was like okay all the years that i did not say what i really think i'm doing it now that's what it seemed like to me
2: (laughs) um and it's very true you know in certain dementias that part of the brain um, the filter is gone Mm -hmm. it's not there anymore period right um and with that comes all sorts of interesting tales about did you hear what grandmother said in the restaurant? <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what do you see when you have someone that comes in and they are just lovely? Just you mm-hmm. want to take care of them because they're just lovely. What are some commonalities in that the, the way that they lived their life, if there are any, that they go into this next stage and they are just really lovely?
2: Most of the time with those folks, they have been that way, mm-hmm. very, um, very laid back, very gentle, smiling a lot. Um, you know, those type of uh, assessments or interviews that I do with folks who are first coming in to a facility. Um, I love them. I mean, it's
0: because it's, they're like a bowl of sunshine. They, oh, there. it's wonderful. It is absolutely <laughs> wonderful
2: um and they are they are able to um at least in most cases hear what you are trying to say to them um and process that pretty well depending on what stage of the dementia they are
0: in that stage where it's um frightening they really don't remember anything anymore What are the the levels of despair that you see in the person who is at that severe stage? Is it that they're so afraid, so in despair that they um, are just in terror and anxiety, which of course, you know, medication can try to help that. Or on the other side of that, do you see people who just relax into it and... You know, they may be afraid, they may be scared, but they seem to just they're in their world now and they're in happy land. And
2: I i think the um, the main component uh, to that is what environment are they in?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What is what are the people like around them taking care of them? OK, are they gentle? Are they loving? Um, those those are huge things.
0: OK, so who they're surrounded by. I I remember I went to because I had therapy dogs forever sorry listeners I know you've heard that a hundred times but um, I would go to nursing homes is one of the places I would go and uh, I loved when those folks came
2: to uh, my facility
0: yes bring what because I
2: love dogs
0: (laughs) exactly exactly and It's like being a flower delivery person. Like pretty much everybody is going to be happy that you showed up because this dog is with you. It's not about you. It's about the dog. You're just holding the leash. But uh, I remember one gentleman who he was in his late 90s. Mm -hmm. And the nurses were talking about how, you know, he never has any visitors. Nobody comes. They feel really bad for him. and, And I could understand where they were coming from. But every time I would visit with him, he was... So in his own world, he watched Animal Planet all day long, and he would call my dog every dog he'd ever had, Mm
1: -hmm. their
0: names. And he just, I mean, I thought, well, I know you guys feel sorry for him, but he never seems like he's suffering. It's what you're putting on him. Exactly.
2: Um, You know what? I I get the exact same response uh, in folks with more advanced disease um, when presented with music. Mm. That they um, that they have enjoyed in the past, enjoy now. Um, and somebody who has been very shut off, been very quiet, just not communicating at all, um, I've seen examples of them hearing music that is comforting or they're very familiar with. It's like night and day. Mm. It's like it, it's a wonderful experience. In fact, I'm going to leave you a, a video, uh, one of my favorites on the subject.
0: Is it a DVD or a cassette?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's a DVD. Okay, good. I don't believe I have any of those. I actually left.
0: do have some.
2: You have a player?
0: No, hell no, but I have some still. <laughs> Sometimes when you go to Airbnbs, they'll have v- uh, VHS yeah. players, yeah, 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 yeah. and I said yeah. cassette. I guess those aren't really cassettes. What are the what were those called? Um,
2: were they V eight? No, no,
0: they were anyway. Video player. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> They're cassette, probably, but anyway, I have some. I admit it, folks. I have some that I can't let go of. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of uh, projection that people are putting on obviously on other people all of the time because that's kind of what we do as human beings and uh I've had a lot of people get very upset at the thought of someone else being alone and I think it's if it's a healthy thing to be okay with being alone that's your fear of being alone it's it's if you get used to and you're okay and you thrive being alone Thrive with other people, too. Um, There doesn't have to be this fear of, oh, they're not going to have anybody. And if they're being taken care of in a, you know, a place, they're being taken care of.
2: I mean. Truly on an individual basis. Yeah. With
0: that. So what types of measures, you know, when you're talking about someone, it is the end, you know, towards the end of life for them. Mm -hmm. And so we're not going to. It's not like someone who had an injury who's. 30 and they you know they can go through physical therapy and get right back you know Mm -hmm. so that kind of care um and dealing with the mental health around that the depression or anxiety that can come with someone realizing this is the end of or the last leg of my life what kinds of counseling and medication management that kind of stuff comes into play
2: um actually in my view um there are some medications that, that help with this. Um, I don't recommend most of them. Um, I'm not a physician, um, but I've seen a lot of experience with antipsychotics, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, sedatives and that sort of thing being used in this population. It, it, it has its place right. for severe, um, hopefully intermittent, very intermittent, uh, Mm episodes. Most folks don't do well long-term with these medications. Um, Towards the end of life, uh, just from a a physical perspective, you know, that individual, their brain has deteriorated so much. Um, The, some of the physical aspects that change obviously are mobility, um, ability to speak, ability to swallow, um, and that truly—well, uh, at the very end, if it's allowed to do its its normal course, it would be the ability to breathe would would be gone mm-hmm. simply by the brain being destroyed. Um, I, I I mentioned my first love being dementia care, um, a close second, I guess, to that would be hospice care. Um, I love the the hospice concept of taking care of people wherever they are. Some do in institutions and, and that's okay, but if somebody can be in their own home until that time, um, I mean, what an enormous gift I think that we give older folks when we, we, we help make that happen. We facilitate that. Um, Some, some of the advice or suggestions that I would give my staff um, when we're talking about people at the end of life, you don't necessarily have to say anything so many times. And this is, is true for families as well. What do I say, John? What, what do I say to the person? I don't know what to say. At the, towards the end, you don't have to say a thing. You have to let that individual you, um, know that you're there. That's important. And we do that primarily by touch. Mm. Um, back in the, in the Stone Age, when, when I was in school, <laughs> um, and probably most of the listeners, too, we, we learned that the last sense to leave us before we die is...
0: Touch. Okay.
2: That's not what I was taught.
0: <laughs> oh, it wasn't?
2: Mm-hmm. He- hearing was always
0: mm. the
2: hearing is the last to go. And that simply is not true. Right. Uh, touch is so important as far as communicating with folks with advanced dementia. It's, in my opinion, the most important.
0: Hmm. Well, final question for you. In terms of, you know, working with educating families and helping them through this time, I know you do that with the patients as well, too, as much as they can hear and understand what you're saying. But in terms of if you see a lot of turmoil within a family and they're bringing that turmoil with them around the patient, it's such a delicate tap dance to try to mitigate that because you're taking care of this person and this person needs to have peace and calm and the family's bringing their truckload of garbage right into the room with them. So what has that dance been like for you and how, what things did you learn in terms of, uh, managing it? Cause I'm sure that helps you outside of those rooms too.
2: Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not too gentle with that with families. Yeah. Um, families can very often make or break the um the the care for a loved one especially in a facility um i generally let families know that to me personally um, that person that individual who has the disease they're the most important person in the room Mm -hmm. um Families, certain folks and families, um, tend to think that that's not the case, obviously. Right. They're, they're the most important. I, unfortunately or not, I, I don't have a lot of patience for folks like that. Um, on the other hand, you know, I've seen families that are just absolutely loving. One of my best friends today... Um, actually he just turned 90 years old. Hmm. Um, he used to live at the facility where I worked. Um, he has since, uh, moved out and moved in with his daughter. Um, I took care of his wife on my unit and to watch this man interact with his wife, um, the love, the patience, just the incredible um giving of self that this man would do whenever he was with her um i mean to me that was just so awe-inspiring um and he's a good friend now
0: (laughs) well in terms of staying in this field are you think you're going to get back into it
2: i hope so um My last experience, it's actually almost been a year now, um, was not very comfortable, not very, um, it was, it was very harsh, actually. Um, And that for a while has really turned me off as far as the administrative part of this work that we do. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I would be fine if all I had to do in my job was to help take care of the patients and my staff. Um, Unfortunately, there are other folks who uh, have to be answered to. Um, Depending on who that person is and their own egos or agendas, um, you know, that that can be uh, extremely easy or very, very difficult. Absolutely.
0: Yeah been there a few times well thank you so much for agreeing to do this show thank you for having me
1: absolutely
0: listeners thank you for tuning in to another episode of mental health news radio
1: i know i know no one likes commercials but seriously folks without the help from these organizations we could not stay on the air, please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show.
0: or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate
1: on you. After all we promise in can Good
2: boy